Gunner freaking Henderson. Gunner Henderson makes his major league debut and hits a homer for his first career hit in an Orioles 4-0 win over the Guardians. I'll recap the victory, talk about Gunner coming up to the big leagues, and the other moves the Orioles made on Wednesday, coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Thursday, September 1st, 2022, and welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, we're going to recap an incredible day in Birdland on Wednesday. It started with the Orioles telling us, well, they weren't just going to bring Gunnar Henderson up and add him to the taxi squad like we heard about on Thursday night. No, no, no. They're going to add him to the active roster. He's going to be in the lineup, and he's going to homer for his first hit in a 4-0 Orioles win over the Guardians. We'll recap that victory, get to the five things you need to know, then take a look at Gunnar Henderson's resume so far, what got him to the big leagues, and what other roster moves the Orioles had to make to get him on the big league roster. And then we'll take a look at the other move Theo's made, signing Jesus Aguilar, a veteran right-handed hitter, to a minor league deal and talk about when he may join the Orioles and how he could help this lineup down the stretch. But that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast, which is brought to you by Vroom. With Vroom, you can buy a car entirely online and have it delivered straight to you so you never have to go to a dealership again. So next time you need to buy a car, just grab your phone. Go to Vroom.com and check out thousands of great cars. And before we get started, just did want to thank you for making Locked on Orioles your first podcast listen of the day. We're covering the O's here Monday through Friday, five episodes a week, wherever you listen, and right here on the Locked on Orioles YouTube channel as well. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe, and tell your friends about Locked on Orioles. Listen, people are getting more and more involved with the O's. They're right in a playoff race. It's September and they're pushing for a wild card in 2022. So if you want to follow the O's every day, tell people about the Locked On Orioles podcast. We thank you, the listener, for making Locked On Orioles your first listen of the day. For your first listen today, well, we got to talk about it. Gunnar Henderson makes his major league debut and makes a splash in Cleveland. So let's kind of go back to where it started on Tuesday night, because this wasn't included in Wednesday's episode, but late Tuesday night, Rockabaco reports that Gunnar Henderson and D.L. Hall would join the Orioles on the taxi squad. So we all thought, hey, you know, they'll be coming up on Thursday when rosters expand. Oh no, the Orioles bring him up a day early to make his major league debut, bat him sixth, start him at third base, and oh, did it go well. Because after flying into a very odd double play in his first at bat in the second inning, Gunnar Henderson let the world know to lead off the fourth that he is here to stay in the big leagues. He leads it off against Tristan McKenzie, who's been having a fantastic year for Cleveland, and Henderson mashes a solo home run out to right center field, got just a little hanging breaking ball and mashed it out there. 107.1 miles per hour off the bat, 429 feet to right center field. Only one ballpark in baseball, San Francisco, with that triples alley out there, would it have not been a home run? He got all of that one to give the Orioles a 2-0 lead at the time. 
And he wasn't done. He made a couple of nice defensive plays at third base and picked up a single in the ninth inning as well as Henderson goes two for four in his debut with three hard hit balls, including that first career home run. The last Oriole to Homer for his first hit, well, that would be Trey Mancini. The one before that, Jonathan Scope. Those two guys had some pretty good Orioles careers. I think Henderson's will be even a whole lot better. And the second thing you need to know from this Orioles 4-0 win over Cleveland, which got the O's to 68-61 and on the season and evened up this series at one game apiece, is that, yeah, Gunnar Henderson drove in one run with his home run, but Ramon Arias drove in the other three runs for the Orioles. And maybe Ramon Arias hearing the footsteps of Gunnar Henderson. And Henderson is not just necessarily going to take, you know, Terran Vavra's at-bats. He could certainly take at-bats of maybe Rugnet Odor, but I think he could be taking some Ramon Arias at-bats away as we go forward. We know how much the Orioles love to have Rugnet Odor in that lineup, and credit to Rugi, he had a two-for-four in Wednesday's game. But Arias knows that the writing could be on the wall. And Well, he did have the Orioles' only hit in Tuesday's loss. Well, then he goes with a one-for-three with a homer, a walk, and three RBIs. In Wednesday's game, he drove in the first run, coming up with the bases loaded and two outs in the third. Didn't have to do much. He worked a four-pitch walk where McKenzie threw four pitches that really weren't even close to the strike zone. Urias just stood there, took a four-pitch walk, and the RBI to give the Orioles a 1-0 lead in the third. But Urias got some huge insurance runs across in the eighth inning against Eli Morgan. Goes the other way for a two-run home run out to right field off the bat of Arias in the eighth, 106.2 miles per hour off the bat, traveled 383 feet for the two-run shot, scoring Rutschman, who had walked earlier in the inning. And this is big for Arias because if he continues to slump like he had been over the past month or so, Gunner could just take away most of his at-bats. But if he's hitting like this, well, that could keep him in the lineup for just a little bit longer. Third thing you need to know from the Orioles' 4-0 win over Cleveland is that despite not driving in any of the four runs, Ryan Mountcastle is just continuing to look better and better both offensively and defensively as well for the Orioles. Of course, Mountcastle was demoted all the way to the 7-hole in Tuesday's game, and he did hit the ball hard a couple of times and look much better at the plate, had the Orioles only RBI on a sack fly Tuesday. And on Wednesday, he did have one hit, on a one for four, did have a single to lead off the second inning, then made a bad base running play to get doubled off. But he had three hard hit balls out of his four at-bats. That's always good to see that contact get better. For the second straight game, Mountcastle did not strike out. Of course, he didn't get a hit in his biggest spot when he came up with the bases loaded and two down in the third, but still hit the ball hard three times in this game. And he made two spectacular plays late in the game, had a diving catch in the eighth and ninth innings to take away hits from Cleveland hitters. He's been just so, so improved defensively at first base this year. He's turned himself into, really, if you look at the numbers, you know, he's been a, a top 10 defensive first baseman in baseball this year, and he was easily a bottom five defensive first baseman last year. So that's been a huge jump. The bat is starting to come back around. They moved him back up to fifth in the order Wednesday night, and hopefully the O's can rely on him as we get into September. Fourth thing you need to know from this one, we switch it over to the pitching side. Man, Jordan Lyles was hungry, hungry, hungry on Wednesday night. Lyles goes six and two-thirds scoreless innings on the mound for the Orioles, allowing just four hits. Now, he wasn't, you know, super filthy 
Only two strikeouts to go along with three walks, but only threw 96 pitches to get through six and two thirds. Obviously didn't allow a run. He lowers his ERA to 4.25. Only allowed four hard hit balls on the day. And listen, it wasn't the nasty slider Jordan Lyles we've seen at times, but he had a really, really interesting pitch mix in this game. Jordan Lyles threw majority curveballs in this one. First time all season that Jordan Lyles' curveball has been his number one pitch. Of 96 pitches, he threw 31 curveballs, 34 seamers, 14 sliders, 11 sinkers, 7 changeups, and then StatCast had him for three cutters as well, which is not a pitch you'll see much. Had him actually throwing six different pitches on Wednesday night. And really what was funny was he kept throwing the curveball because it was basically the only pitch that was working. He got six whiffs of his seven total whiffs, came on that curveball, threw it a season-high 31 times, was also dropping it into the strike zone, had five called strikes. Yeah, the sinker was all right, and the sinker was kind of his get-me-over pitch on Wednesday, but he was really going all curveball. And again, you know, with only two strikeouts and six and two-thirds, he's not getting a lot of swings and misses. Seven whiffs on 39 swings, not a great number. But it was so interesting to see because in Lyle's last start, back on Thursday against the White Sox, his slider was his most used pitch. Then he goes to his curveball as his most used pitch. And he's starting to realize he might be more effective when he throws a breaking ball more than his four-seam fastball. That's what happened Wednesday. And just back-to-back great starts from Lyles. He continues to eat innings for this team and do it for the boys to pick up the W. And the fifth and final thing you need to know from this one is that, well, the Orioles' bullpen made things pretty easy. In this game, CNL Perez relieved Lyles after he got a double play in the seventh. It was a 2 nothing Orioles lead, two down, nobody on, bottom seven. And it takes Perez just one pitch to get out of the bottom of the seventh. He comes out there, did allow a single in the eighth, but works through a scoreless eighth with a strikeout. Took him only 13 pitches to get four outs. And then the Orioles turned to the mountain. You know, it was not a save situation, but Felix Bautista hadn't pitched since Saturday, so they wanted to get him into a game, and it was still a 4-0 lead that you want to hold together. And Bautista goes 1-2-3 in six pitches to set down Cleveland in the bottom of the ninth and secure the win. And that tells me, even though Perez threw an inning and a third, Perez and Bautista, you know, 13 and six pitches, they're both available on Thursday, which means the Orioles' entire bullpen is going to be available behind Kyle Bradish on Thursday, which puts them in a really good spot to try and win that series today. But the Orioles at least even the series. And this was a series going in where I said, even if the O's just get one of three, they're still in an okay position because they play a bad team like Oakland this weekend. But now with a chance to win a series, which would be their fifth straight, that would be huge if they could get it done today. But the Orioles win it again 4 nothing. They get to 68 and 61. And as I record here around 9:30 p.m. Eastern Time on Wednesday night, the other teams around the wild card race are helping out the Orioles a little bit more than they did Tuesday night. Remember, every other wild card contender won while the Orioles lost on Tuesday night. As I speak here, Tampa Bay and Miami tied in the 10th. You've got the Cubs with a 7-5 lead over the Blue Jays in the 7th. Seattle does lead Detroit 4-3 in the 8th. And then as I'm talking, Boston leads Minnesota 5-2 in the 6th. So at the very least, if you could get that Blue Jays loss and maybe that Minnesota loss, the Orioles hopefully could pull back within two games of a wildcard spot as they go into play on Thursday. But what an exciting day it was overall for the Orioles. Gunnar Henderson comes up. He has a great debut. 
He goes deep. He hits a ball 429 feet. And the vibes are tremendous for an Orioles offense that needed a jolt. And Henderson gave it to him. And coming up next, we'll talk a little bit more about the roster move that got Henderson to the big leagues, the moves the O's had to make on both the active roster and the 40-man roster to create space. And, of course, we'll talk about Henderson's season in the minors and what got him to being the number one prospect in baseball and then what got him finally here into the big leagues. But first, I want to talk about this. Are you someone who thinks it's okay to drive stoned? I mean, what's the worst that can happen? You end up driving below the speed limit? It's no big deal, right? Wrong. The truth is your reaction times slow way down when you're high. You not only put yourself in danger, but everyone around you. Talk about a buzzkill. So stop kidding yourself. It's not okay to drive high. If you've been using marijuana in any form, do not get behind the wheel. If you feel different, you drive different. Drive high, get a DUI. So obviously, all the excitement, everything surrounding the news on Wednesday was basically about Gunnar Henderson and him coming to the big leagues to make his major league debut on Wednesday night. And it was exciting because we've called for Gunnar Henderson for a while now. The dude came up to AAA on June 6th after dominating the first couple months of the season in AA Bowie, and he was mashing pitching in Norfolk as well. He was playing new positions. They had him over at second base and at first base to work on defense, obviously play a lot of short and third as well. He was continuing to, you know, hit lefties at an all right pace, absolutely mash triple-A righties. He was ready to go. And the Orioles decide to make the call on Wednesday as they promote Gunnar Henderson to the Orioles, call him up from AAA. They option Tyler Nevin back down to AAA and to make an open spot on the 40-man roster, which was full, and Henderson was not on it. They DFA'd the right-handed pitcher, Denny Reyes, who has been in AAA with the Tides for the last couple of months. Now, first of all, in terms of the roster stuff, we first heard actually on Tuesday night that Henderson, along with D.L. Hall, were traveling to Cleveland to meet the Orioles. Now, Rakabako of Masson reported that Henderson and Hall were both coming onto the Orioles taxi squad and they would come to Cleveland. Now, what everyone, including myself, assumed that meant was that the Orioles would be on the taxi squad, they would be with the team for Wednesday's game, they would not be activated, and then Henderson and Hall would be the two players activated on Thursday, of course today, that's September 1st, when rosters expanded from 26 to 28 players, and they would just be the two extra players without the O's having to make a roster move. Now, there was some confusion, including with myself, about, you know, could Henderson be on the postseason roster if he was added to the 40-man after September 1st? Now, didn't end up being an issue because the Orioles did not wait until today. They, of course, activated Henderson to the active roster yesterday and placed him on the 40-man roster, of course, on August 31st. Now, the rule itself says that a player has to be on a team's 40-man roster by August 31st to be eligible for the postseason. The issue is that rule basically doesn't come into play. It's essentially useless because there is a part of that rule in the Major League Baseball rulebook that says a player that is not on the 40-man roster by August 31st, but replaces an injured player during September can still be on the postseason roster. Now, it makes sense 
If you have a star player get injured on September 15th and be out for the season, and your best replacement is a prospect in AAA, you should be able to bring that guy up and have him play in the postseason. But what the writing of the rule does is essentially lets you manipulate that rule however you want because it allows you to use an injury replacement not just on a guy who gets injured in September, but on a guy who gets injured at any point in the season and has just outlived the specified IL stay. For example, had the Orioles not called up Henderson until today, had waited into September to call him up, they still could have put him on the postseason roster because they basically could have said he's replacing John Means. Means, of course, who had Tommy John surgery back in April, has been on the 60-day injured list since then, of course, is not on the 40-man roster. But because Means is out for the season, he's been on the 60-day injured list for longer than 60 days at this point, and will be, you know, he's not going to be back till, you know, hopefully, hopefully June of next year. The Orioles could essentially say they're replacing Means with Henderson, and he would have been able to play in the playoffs. So that wasn't really an issue, but the Orioles still did call up Henderson before September 1st and put him on the 40-man roster. And obviously, it was well-deserved for Gunnar Henderson because after dominating AA, he was promoted to AAA on June 6th, and he went on a rampage with the Norfolk Tides. In 65 games in Norfolk, he had just shy of 300 plate appearances, 295 to be exact. He hit 288 with a 390 on base percentage and a 504 slugging percentage, 11 home runs, 13 doubles, and a 138 WRC plus for Gunnar Henderson. That means he was 38% better than the average AAA hitter this year. Basically just dominant. I mean, at the end of the day, he, you know, I wouldn't say he was ready for the big leagues in June. I wouldn't say he was ready for the big leagues in July. But once we got into August and he had had two really, really good months of AAA baseball under his belt and the Orioles offense was starting to kind of slide the other direction, especially after they traded Trey Mancini at the deadline, you could have made a good argument pretty much all of August that Hunt Henderson should have been here. Mike Elias waits until the last day and calls him up. Now, in terms of the other stats... He played all four infield positions, third base, shortstop, second base, and first base. Now, obviously, mostly played short and third, but the Orioles got him some time at second and first in his last couple of weeks at Norfolk just to get him ready and versatile for the major leagues. He's probably not going to unseat Jorge Mateo at shortstop, and of course, Henderson played third base on Wednesday night, but there's an opening at second, and Henderson showed he could play that position also you know, there's really wasn't, at least for a while, a backup first baseman for Ryan Mountcastle after the Orioles traded Mancini. They were getting Taron Vavra some reps there, Adley Rutschman some reps there, Anthony Santander some reps there, but now you have Henderson in that mix as well. In terms of the other stats, though, I mean, 10 for 11 stealing bases in AAA can show a little speed. 13% walk rate, a good number. The 26% strikeout rate is a little higher than you would like it to be. It was in the teens in AA Bowie before the promotion, but... He was facing much, much better pitchers in AAA. And compared to what he did against righties, he struggled a little bit against lefties. A 7-11 OPS against left-handers versus a 1,043 OPS against righties. Just crushed righties. And if you combine AA and AAA, he had 19 home runs this year. 17 of the 19 homers did come against right-handed pitching. Now he's facing, obviously, a lot more righties than he's facing lefties. But still, he's better against righties. But... Most left-handed power hitters are much better against righties. And at the end of the day for Henderson, I mean, he came up in June. He had a 177 WRC plus in AAA in June. Just mashed 
119 WRC plus in July and a 121 WRC plus in August. I mean, he was at least 19% better than the field every, every month in AAA. And he was in a little two for 21 slump at the end of his time at AAA until his last two games. Sunday, he has a three hit game. And then his last AAA game was Tuesday night in Norfolk also had a three hit game. So six hits over his last two AAA games and he comes to the big leagues. Now for Henderson, again, you know, he was in the lineup against a right-hander on Wednesday night and Tristan McKenzie playing third base. He might play a little shortstop if they want to give Jorge Mateo a day off, but generally he'll be playing a lot of third and I would think he'll DH some and he'll play a little second base as well defensively for the Orioles. And just get ready. He's not going to be in the lineup every day, especially against lefties. He will sit from time to time. Now, I'm really hoping unless he gets mired in an awful slump, he's in the lineup pretty much every time the Orioles face a right-hander. But if they face a lefty, don't be surprised to see him sitting. Now, Rugnet Odor's numbers this year generally have been split down the middle. At times, he's been a little better against lefties. So you could see Odor at second with Urias at third, Mateo at short against lefties. And then you'll probably see if Jesus Aguilar is activated, who the Orioles signed to a minor league deal on Wednesday. We'll talk about him in a second. You'd probably see him DHing with Mountcastle at first base against a lefty as well. So just something to watch there. He may not play every day, but he is going to be in this lineup a whole lot. And then you look around the infield, you know, with Tyler Nevin now optioned to AAA, you've got Rugnet Odor, you've got Gunnar Henderson, you've got Taron Vavra, you've got Ramon Arias, and you've got Jorge Mateo. Those guys, five guys basically for three infield spots every night. And the DH spot will be open for those guys from time to time. I mean, for example, Ramon Arias was the DH on Wednesday night, so they got four of those five guys in the lineup. Only Vavra sat out of those five. But sometimes Santander will DH or Aguilar or some of these other guys, and it's going to be a little tough. Or even on Sundays when Adley Rutschman DHs, it's going to be tough to get all these guys in the lineup. Some of these guys are going to sit. It's probably going to be Vavra a good amount. Arias has kind of struggled. It might be him as well. But hopefully Henderson can take off here with the bat. Now, in terms of the other moves, I think it really did make the most sense to send Tyler Nevin down to AAA if the Orioles were going to bring up Gunnar Henderson before rosters expanded. He played in 56 games this year, did Nevin at the big league level, 179 plate appearances, just a 196 average, a 296 on base with a 261 slugging after the red hot September he had for the Orioles when he came up last year. Just didn't hit this year. Obviously never got consistent playing time, but two home runs, a 67 WRC plus for Tyler Nevin. And he hasn't played in 10 days. He last played August 21st in the Little League game when he was the defensive replacement at third base in the ninth inning. His last start was the day before that. The last time he was in the starting lineup was August 20th at Camden Yards against the Red Sox. Tyler Nevin had one hit in the month of August. Now, granted, he didn't have that many at-bats, but he had one hit. His last hit in the big leagues came on August 3rd. He basically wasn't playing at all. It made the most sense. He had options to send him down to AAA. He obviously stays on the 40-man, but the Orioles had to make a 40-man opening, and it was Denny Reyes who got DFA. Now, we haven't seen Reyes in a while. He last pitched in the big leagues for the Orioles on June 3rd. Between the end of May and early June, he made three appearances for the O's. Twice out of the bullpen, he made one start. He had a 2.35 ERA in seven and two-thirds innings. He allowed two runs on eight hits, struck out three, and walked one. I kind of liked his stuff. I liked how he threw strikes. He was around the strike zone. A 25-year-old right-hander who the Orioles signed as a minor league free agent this offseason after he had spent 
all of his career in the Red Sox system, but he did not have good numbers at AAA. 12 appearances, 7 starts for the Norfolk Tides. Reyes had a 7.50 ERA in 42 innings in AAA this year. He allowed 60 hits, and while he did strike out 41 and walk just 7, he did allow 10 home runs in those 12 AAA appearances. He threw a lot of strikes, just couldn't avoid the hits when he was in the strike zone, and Reyes gets DFA'd. I will say, I expect him to probably clear waivers and most likely stay in the organization at AAA. He just won't be on the 40-man roster. And the Orioles also outrighted Travis Lakins off the roster. He went unclaimed. So Lakins, back from injury, is also in AAA Norfolk, although he is not on the 40-man roster either, although that didn't clear up a spot because Lakins had been on the 60-day injured list for a while now, not occupying that spot. He was healthy and ready to be activated. They activated him, basically DFA'd him. No one claimed him, so he is still with the Orioles. So with the Gunnar Henderson addition, the 40-man roster still sits at a full 40 players. But the O's may have to make another move on that 40-man because on Wednesday, not only did they call up Henderson, but they signed Jesus Aguilar to a minor league deal and added him to the taxi squad, which tells me he might be the extra player added when rosters expand today. So coming up next, we'll talk about Aguilar, his season with the Marlins, why he was released, and how he could fit in to the Orioles roster moving forward. So the big news, obviously, on Wednesday was the Orioles promoting their number one prospect and the number one prospect in all of baseball, according to Baseball America, in the infielder Gunnar Henderson. Again, at only 21 years old, he will be, or he already has been on Wednesday night, the youngest player to make his Major League debut in baseball in 2022. Pretty impressive from Henderson, who was basically the youngest player in AAA all year. Every single pitcher he faced in AAA was older than him, and every pitcher he's going to face in the big leagues also going to be older than him. So playing against older competition and continues to have some success. But the O's added him. That got all the praise, obviously. But the Orioles added another interesting piece on Wednesday, and that is Jesus Aguilar, who the Orioles signed to a minor league deal on Wednesday. Now, Aguilar was DFA'd and then released by the Miami Marlins last week after basically he had just had some really bad struggles in the second half. They were trying to get some younger players, some at-bats on a team that is still kind of in its rebuild, and they just decided to cut him free and hope that he would sign on with a contending team, which is what happened. Aguilar, 32-year-old who basically doesn't really play the field. I mean, he'll play some okay first base, but he's basically a first base slash DH at this point. And the right-handed hitter was actually added to the taxi squad by the Orioles on Wednesday right after they signed him. That means he was in Cleveland with the Orioles Wednesday night. Now, he wasn't on the active roster. But what that tells me is that, you know, the O's have pretty much told us at this point with him being on the taxi squad, D.L. Hall will be the pitcher added today when rosters expand. But it looks like there's a good chance Jesus Aguilar will be the hitter added to the Orioles' active roster when they expand to 28 players here on Thursday. Now, the O's will have to DFA another player off the 40-man roster when that happens because it's currently full. They have to add Aguilar. I would think your best candidates, Richie Martin maybe, you know, spent most of the year in AAA. O's have a lot of infield options right now. They outrighted Richie Martin off the... 40-man roster last offseason, nobody claimed him. They could probably be confident they could keep him. 
Jonathan Arauz, maybe, you know, another younger infielder who, you know, has had more of an impact at the big leagues this year, but just too many infielders passing him. And on the pitching side, maybe Phoenix Sanders, he was their most recent waiver claim, or Lewis Head, who, you know, had been in the big leagues for a bit, but really struggled. I think those are probably the four names to watch out for to be DFA'd if the O's do place Aguilar on the active roster here on Thursday. But the question is kind of what will they get from Jesus Aguilar? Because He's had some really good moments in his career, had some good years with the Brewers, even had some good years offensively recently with the Marlins as well. A guy who's been traded at the deadline a couple of times when teams are looking for bigger bats. Definitely a guy kind of like Rudnett Odor and Robinson Torinos who bring really good vibes to the clubhouse as a veteran presence. That will help the Orioles. And the other thing about the O's, obviously their own doing that they traded Trey Mancini and Tyler Nevin didn't really step up into any better role. And so... The Orioles didn't really have a backup first baseman, you know, as they were trying out Santander and Vavra and Rutschman and Henderson at that position. What Aguilar does give them at the very least, if this, if Mount Castle gets injured at any time, you have an easy first baseman on the roster. You can put in there a veteran guy. What he also brings again is a veteran guy who's been in postseason chases with the Brewers and with the Marlins in 2020 as well. So he's kind of been around that. You know, he's 32 years old. He's been in big league clubhouses since 2014. So he's a veteran leader you can add to the clubhouse. He's another right-handed bat who has hit for power, has multiple 20-plus homer seasons in his career. The O's have not gotten a lot of power from their lineup besides Anthony Santander basically all season, so that will help. And, of course, with the struggles that Ryan Mountcastle is going through right now, maybe if he needs a day off or two, you can kind of easily stick Aguilar in there at first base, hit him sixth or seventh, and kind of feel good about that spot in the lineup. However... The reason why Jesus Aguilar was a free agent is because he is having his worst offensive season of his career, specifically since the All-Star break. He had basically been putrid at the plate for the Marlins, and that's why they released him. In 113 games with Miami this year, about 450 plate appearances, Aguilar hit 236 with a 286 on base and a 388 slugging. All three of those numbers, batting average, on base, and slugging, all career lows for Aguilar. 15 home runs, a 90 WRC plus for Aguilar, only a 6% walk rate, very low, and a 23% strikeout rate, not great from Jesus Aguilar this season. I mentioned those career lows in average, in on-base percentage, in slugging, in hard hit percentage at 35%, a career low. His ISO power number is a career low. His walk percentage is a career low. His expected batting average of just 240 is also a career low. Essentially, it's easy to say again, he is having the worst offensive season of his career. But I did talk to some people who cover the Marlins. And while they did say that, yes, Aguilar looked different at the plate this year, didn't have the same amount of pop in his bat, wasn't spraying the ball around the field. Something I also heard was the Marlins clubhouse, uh, some issues this year. And people expected them to take a bigger step forward here in 2022, and that has not happened at all. You could argue they took a step back this season. And some of that had to do with just turmoil in the clubhouse. And I heard from a couple people that said, you know, a part of Aguilar's struggles, not all of them, but a part of them could be he's the kind of guy who brings the vibes, he's been in good clubhouses, he's been a leader, and it just kind of got stale for him. And that may have attributed to a little bit of his downfall this season. The O's are hoping that they get him into a much better, more positive environment. They can get him back to at least a major league average hitter with some pop from the right side. Now, he is a guy who's had an interesting season because 
He's kind of been a reverse splits guy this year as well. Just a 78 WRC plus against lefties for the right-handed hitter Aguilar versus a 93 WRC plus against righties. Again, both of those numbers are bad, but the number against righties is obviously much better. But what I mentioned is, you know, he was basically a league average hitter before the All-Star break, a 98 WRC plus in the first half of the season. That's basically league average. He had a 64 WRC plus in the second half of the season. That's bad. That's 36% worse than a league average hitter since the All-Star break. So the O's are hoping he can bring some leadership. He can get some hits from the right side. You know, you can put him in the lineup against lefties. Maybe you can spell Ryan Mountcastle from time to time. He'll bring some more leadership to the Oriole clubhouse. And uh, we will see if he is activated on Thursday. I would expect him and D.L. Hall to be the two guys added Thursday when rosters expand here today to 28 players. But of course, I'll be back with you here on the podcast tomorrow and we'll break down who the O's do add to that roster. Again, looks like it'll be Hall and Aguilar, but maybe it is a different hitter. And if it is, we'll chat about it on tomorrow's episode. We'll also recap the final game of the series between the Orioles and the Guardians. O's got to face Shane Bieber in this one on Thursday. Hopefully the bats can uh, get it going against one of the best pitchers in the American League. I will tell you a little bit about what I see from Grayson Rodriguez. I'll be in Aberdeen here on Thursday night to watch his first rehab start coming back from that lat injury in Aberdeen with the Ironbirds. I'll break down what I saw from him and some other Ironbirds players as well. And then we'll get you ready for a weekend series. Got a uh, pretty sweepable series coming up. The Athletics coming to Baltimore for three. We'll get you ready for those games coming up on tomorrow's episode. But until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. We'll